Hello and welcome to Shop Small, Eat Big, where each episode we'll be speaking to an artisan food or drink business, baking, brewing, creating, making fantastic produce and selling it throughout the UK. We get under the hood to understand what inspired them, how the business got started and the detail and love that goes into their products. Hope you enjoy listening. If you do, please give us a like, share, follow on our social media page, Pueblo UK, and any comments, please feel free to reach out on our contact email, hello at pueblofood.co. In this week's episode, I speak to Amarachi Clark, founder of London's bean-to-bar chocolate maker, Lucoco. The idea for Lucoco was born whilst Amarachi had picked up a sports injury and began researching into what the chocolate industry was producing and how. A self-taught chocolate maker since 2014, Amarachi exemplifies quality and passion, guiding us through not only what they're doing as a business, but offering an insightful perspective as to how chocolate is perceived as a result of the industry blending generic bulk ingredients together. Lucoco has ditched the status quo and provides a real rethink towards what chocolate is and how it should be. I'm very glad to have you on, really, because I absolutely love chocolate. I love talking about chocolate. I like eating chocolate. I'm sure lots of people do. So I'm being putting myself into the category of the masses. But um, I suppose one thing that stands out to me and possibly to people listening into this podcast is there are, you know, hundreds of chocolate companies around the world. There are thousands of bars of chocolate um, and chocolate products available on uh, not you know not just the global market, but even even domestically in the UK. There's 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 so much choice. So, where did, where did it kind of start for you in terms of um, you know you took a look at the market and you said there's space here and you know wh- wh- where's that where is that space exactly where where do you guys fit into such a gigantic market? Yeah, it's like so with chocolate, it's really easy to look at it in its whole ecosystem. So, and when I talk about that big ecosystem, I'm talking about everyone from as small as I am to your really big mass producing companies where you're seeing those bars on the shelves every day and seeing adverts on the TV. So um, it's really easy to look at chocolate in that big um, that big ecosystem, but um, it's what we don't do is kind of break it all down. So what happened was in 2014, Mm. Um, I ran a, um, a, a marathon in San Francisco and, and I hurt my foot. So I took, I came back and I couldn't run, I couldn't run a mile. And, um, let alone 26. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't run a mile. I had to walk to work. I was working, um, in, where was I working? <clears throat> Oxford, near, um, just off Oxford Street at the time. So, but I was living in Belsize Park. So I would have to walk to work to try and get my foot to whatever the Austria, the, what yeah. doctors said I had to do, I I, I did. <laughs> um, so I, I ended up having to walk to work to try and get some strength back into my foot. But um, I was I did do a um, a course on nutrition. It wasn't about trying to become a nutritionist. It was about um, trying to understand how food works in your body and all of those sorts of things. And so 
um, it kind of led me down the kind of rabbit hole of chocolate. So they were talking about chocolate and they're talking about chocolate's properties and all this mm. stuff. And that's, that's cool. But then I went to go and explore a bit more about chocolate. And then lo and behold, I get to the like halfway through this rabbit hole and there you go. There's my answer. The chocolate that we see on the shelves every day isn't real. Like, isn't, um, isn't actually how chocolate should be presented to the customer. If you can say it like that. Um, yeah. so what chocolate really is, is that different regions create different flavours. Yeah. And chocolate's just like wine and coffee. And if you look at wine, if you look at the wine category and you look at the coffee category and you look at what um, is going on there, you can buy a breadth and depth of quality and price in terms of what, what, you, what you want. And are you saying that because like you get beans from, you get, you know, you get cacao beans from, from Guatemala, from Haiti, from the Dominican Republic, from Belize. There are, you know, mm-hmm. many different countries that produce cacao beans. So are you, are you sort of saying then that because of the, you know, the, the numerous sort of geographical climates and, you know, what it comes down to things like soil fertility, the weather, et cetera, you, you essentially get totally different, you know, flavors. flavors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you get different flavours. And then on laid on top of that is kind of like a bit of the science bit about the variety of the tree and stuff like that, where you get more intricate flavours with different varieties. But on its basic form, different regions create different flavours. And and I was always wondered why I can go to um, an independent coffee shop or a chain, mm. well, less of a chain shop, but I go to an independent coffee shop. And I go and buy a really nice, and I would I would say, oh, can I have an Ethiopian coffee or can I have a Colombian coffee? And they'll tell me about these different flavors. They'll tell me about the smell, the aroma, and all those sorts of things. And you'll have the same thing presented to you if you went to an independent wine place. And sometimes if you went to a supermarket, like supermarkets sell some really good wines and stuff these yeah. days. Um, and so, and if I want to buy mid-range or, or bottom-range, um, more-valued um, coffee, I can buy that from a supermarket because it's there. But the, the fact still remains, you you have an option. With chocolate, you don't. It's a race to the bottom um, in terms mm. of price and quality. And what what we what what's actually what's happened is that you've got we've got to the point now where it people expect chocolate to be cheap. Yeah. And we've got to the point where some people said actually chocolate shouldn't be that cheap. I'm going to make my bars all organic and I'm going to have all these flavors and I'm going to have you give you many flavors as you want um, based on what additives that they've put in it or like kind of flavor stuff that they've put in it. And yeah. so you got, you came out of that kind of, um, kind of that kind of chocolate that you can just go from the, the kind of grab and go to something slightly different. Yeah. And now we're still, we're still not at where chocolate should be when we're, when we've got this middle point here where you have people that are not um, completely raced to the bottom. They're a higher price mark because it, it costs more to make their bar. But yeah. we're in this category, we're in this bit now where, and I always call it like tin, like tinned, um, what do you call it? Tinned um, sweet corn or like when, when right. you go to the supermarket and people say, oh, do you realise that, the value brand and the best brand and the kind of name brand, they're all made in the same factory. You, you know that, don't you? And you're like, oh, no, I didn't know that. So it doesn't really matter which one you buy. And, but then sometimes it does. But that's kind of where we are in a minute, where you've got all, you've got this big, massive middle bit of um, chocolate brands that will buy their chocolate from some of the worst producing chocolate companies we've ever had. So you'll have 
um, companies that will tell you, I can try, I can trace my um, chocolate from here to here, or we use ethically sourced this and we know about this. And you just like, okay, where do you actually get your chocolate from? Um, where, where is it from? And they'll say, oh, from Peru or from here and that. And you, you kind of pull those onion um, yeah. peels back and you work out actually it was one of four companies that has made the chocolate that you've melted down and added your flavor to. And that's fine, but don't mask it as something that it's not. And also those companies tend to have really bad child and slave labor within their supply chain. Right. So it then doesn't become ethical. And then you've got this other bit of the market where we're talking about farmers rights we're talking about paying people the right price we're talking like so a lot of people say um they it's kind of shifted in the last five years but a lot of people would say to me is qualifying question to see whether our chocolate bar was good for them or not was is it organic and is it fair trade now those two should never be anything that you judge what you buy your bar of chocolate from but for two reasons one we can sign up to um a um, a subscription service which will give us the label to put on our bars to say that they're organic because all of our products are organic. Yeah. Um, or we can say that our stuff is fair, fair trade, but again, that's another subscription model. But what we're, but what we're, if you go deeper than that, we've got an issue now where, um, and it's and it's well documented that we've got a point where. Fair trade aren't paid. And I'm only talking about cocoa. I can't talk about any other um, category. But um, so fair trade will say you should pay X ton um, of X ton amount for your X. What is it? It's the ICE price, uh, ICE price, something like that, right? Is it 500 bucks, something like that for, uh, you know, whatever standard measurement? Yeah, fair trade. Fair trade is fair trade is above that. Um, But it still doesn't quite work. But they... um, they will say this is how much you should pay per ton. And then you look at how much they actually pay per ton and those two don't work out. Now, mm. I, I've been a believer that you should pay someone the right price for the product they're producing. You should pay a what we call a living wage rather than a minimum wage because that allows people to then, inv- in, then start to... Grow um, economically, really, I suppose, right? Yeah. Yeah, grow economically, but also um, invest in their in their farm, invest in their business. That means that they can have people on there. Therefore, we start to look at the, some of the structural stuff around child and slave labour and why those children and why slaves are on those farms in the first place. And then you can start to um, untangle some of that stuff. And I'm so I think, mm. so what I always say is that fair traders have done an amazing job at highlighting the issue, but there is still a big problem. So... Again, we're back in this last bit where, where where people are saying that's how we qualify whether the chocolate is good for you. And I say, well, we pay more than fair trade and yeah. we are all of our ingredients are organic. Now, is it OK? And they'll say, yeah, that's great. And I'm like, well, there's something more to chocolate that, that we haven't been told. So we've been spun this narrative that dark chocolate should be bitter and milk chocolate is too sweet mm. and white chocolate isn't chocolate at all. And so, exactly. And that's nothing to do with that. That is not real chocolate. So you've got us being to bar chocolate makers on this side of the of the. Yeah, you're on the fringe. <laughs> yeah, we're on the. We are actually on the fringe. It's funny, like the actual people making the chocolate is on the fringe. But yeah, we're on this like fringe, and we're we're kind of like banging our drums about um, ethical and sustainable farming, about 
not having child and slave labour on on farms, that paying people the right price, like different regions create different flavours, and it takes it takes us three days to make a bar. In my in in our case. Um, and so we're trying to get people to understand what chocolate is. And you sometimes you're kind of caught with people saying, but why is your chocolate too so expensive? And then the, the next comeback is you need to ask the question as to why these ones are so cheap. It, it's re, it's, it's re-educating, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. fundamentally what it is. It's, it's like teaching yeah. somebody, you know, who, 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 you know, has spent their whole life walking to walk in a different way because the, the way exactly. that they've done it, it's not right. So yeah. it is. It's so conditioned in us, and 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 I would say that very openly that I 100% have not done anywhere near the amount of clear investigation work that that you've done when you were looking into this because it feels like you you've just went deeper and deeper and deeper into the chocolate rabbit hole, um and mm. and, and came down to the bottom and went what the hell is going on here this this is not right fundamentally as you said we're fair trade of as you said exposed the issues but are un- probably unable to, to to really sort of do anything about it. And I think a lot of that also comes down to the the, the, the way that the public and consumers have been treated as customers um, when, when it comes to purchasing chocolate. And I suppose it's no fault of their own equally either, right? No. Where you've got, you walk no. into a supermarket and and that is the chocolate that is there and and is available. So you yeah. know, fundamentally, you know, you, know, you, you if, I don't know, I, I suppose listening to you, it, it feels more like, you concluded with these, you know, I keep calling it an investigation because that's what it feels like before you started the, business. Started but, the um, business. But um, yeah, you just you just wonder, was it more of a uh, almost became a bit of a social mission for for you as much as a uh, as a as a business? Um, would that be a fair, yeah. fair assumption to make? Yeah, and and some of these things have kind of come as the business has kind of grown and evolved. Um, and I'm still learning more. I'm still learning more now, you know. And um, it's it's every year we we kind of like oh, so more arguments as to why we are doing the right thing. <laughs> and I guess I've got quite a big campaigning background. So um, before. I started my kind of like working life as um, in my students' unions um, and then became the vice president of the NUS. And then I shouldn't say the NUS because it's N- of, of NUS. Um, <laughs> and I know we used to have such a bug about people that said the NUS. Um, and there's me saying it. So of NUS. And then um, I went into like kind of charity. So I was at Comic Relief and I finished my kind of like working um, um, before I came, went full time on my business at. Um, UNICEF so I've had that kind of like um the need to make the world a better place in 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 work that I've done and so it kind of so the more I kept finding out about where so first of all you've got the consumers being told that this is chocolate and take it and this is take it or leave it and you're entitled to chocolate and it should be cheap and all those sorts of things you've got that bit to deal with and then you've got the bit about um why why should we have been like why are we entitled to chocolate and these people aren't entitled to having a decent life and then so you start digging into that part of it and then you start hearing more and more of these stories coming from west africa from ivory coast from do you know and you start thinking actually there's something more to this than meets the eye and so you just go digging and i and you can dig as far as you want to be honest with you you can dig as far as you want you can say actually oh that's really bad and you know that shouldn't be happening or um and I, and 
being from a campaigning background, I know how long it takes to change things. If you you can go and lobby someone in Parliament for the next for the next twenty years, and right. you may or may not have something happen. It depends. Like. Um, it depends on how much the public is ready to come on board with your argument, and you can lo- you can lobby. There's for different Lord. mediums, isn't there? There's there's totally different mediums of you doing it. Clearly, your route into it was, I- I'm going to build a business and I'm going to build a product that I can put in front of the public and say this is chocolate. I yes. suppose that was your medium, wasn't it? Yes. As you said, rather yeah. than writing a big essay which probably not, you may, I'm sure some people would have read it, but you've done something different. Yes. You've presented a bar of chocolate, which clearly is going to entice people more than uh, than maybe a 56-page essay on what, what's wrong in the chocolate industry. Yeah. And, that's your, and that's your way of doing it. Um, was it easy for you to break into, you know, the world of chocolate? I, I get a sense from the businesses that are, in, that, that are involved and uh, I, d- I don't know how protectionist it is. I mean, ultimately, you know, it, it is a commodity-driven industry, um, you know, how, how was it for you after you did the investigations and, and you sort of went, right, I, I'm going to move into this. I'm going to set up the business. I'm going to create a chocolate bar. You know, where where, yeah. where, where, where do you start? Because, I mean, I don't suppose you you necessarily have ha- you know, had the expertise to um, to do anything like that. So are you kind of pulling in other people at this point to help you out or, or are, you, are you going it alone? Like what what was that journey no. like? Oh, my husband, my husband. Um, when we first started, my husband was part of the business and I, he, he's a freelancer, so he had a little bit more time during the day. So he would do, when on, on the way to the launch, um, he was doing quite a lot of the tempering and the making of the chocolate and the hand tempering chocolate bars. And that's not an easy thing to do in a hmm. flat where no matter what the time of year was, the heating was on. Yeah. Um, so it was really so you started at home. So, so, so home yeah. was, the, was so you, yeah, it was like proper bootstrap. You starting at home. Yeah. Where, where are you getting where are you getting the 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 actual uh, the beans from where, where where is that being sourced like initially <laughs> so what happened was that i i taught myself how to make chocolate and that was it and and so it was trial and error and i remember going to my friend camilla's birthday one um, in december because i in December. And i went to her birthday and i and i said people try this chocolate and they were all like mm. i remember i never forget the face of my friend lena she was one yeah, this is cool. <laughs> and I was like, there's more work to be done here. <laughs> so I remember, like, there's a lot more work to be done. And then I remember um, having to try trial and error with the recipes and stuff like that. So I managed to get to the point where we were going to launch at a chocolate festival in the March. And so what we were going to do then was to work out, like, we want to make this, we want, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it properly. Right. My husband is so much better at kind of like, um, not the kind of like go be or go home, that kind of narrative, but like, if you're going to do it, do it properly. Right. And so um, we, there, there was a movement of bean to bar chocolate makers in America. And I kind of followed some of my favorite ones, especially the ones that were talking about ethics and the ones that were talking about sustainability. And mm. I remember we hit on Taza chocolate um, in the States and kind of followed where, where did they get their bean from? And then we contacted all those farms yeah. and said, you know, we're starting out, so can we have some real beans? Um, and they said, um, yeah, some of them, some of them were some of them were like, Well, we, we don't carry that function, but here's someone that does, um, mm. who who does our beans. And it happened to be like a like a buying arm from Tazid Chocolate, which was great. Um, so we ended up being their first customer in the UK of buying beans. And then all I remember is in our flat, there was like these all of a sudden these two sacks arrived, but these 
was it no three sacks of beans no four sacks of beans four sacks of beans arrived and they were all like so yeah four sacks of beans arrived Dominican <laughs> Belize um, Guatemala oh so you went for a different country for every single sack of beans that you that you got delivered oh, for the first God. time what you went yeah, and then, you well, went straight to the deep end oh yeah really did can you imagine like a, at this time we're in a one bedroom flat um, and so the, <laughs> and there was this really small hallway so these beans were there and I remember um, trying to work out, but but first of all, we had like massive issues getting into the country because there was the word organic written all over it, and we didn't have this um, organic certified label, so we didn't have that paperwork. So it turns out it's harder to get organic food into the country than it is to get just kind of regular un unorganic food food into the country. So deference yeah. these beings. Uh, long story short, they end up in the in the flat, and I just look at them thinking, oh no. Right. Ah, oh, okay. How long is it going to take to get through all of these beans? And is there anyone to sell it to if I don't? Um, <laughs> so, so I started Googling, like, who 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 can buy beans from people? Like, if this is a failed adventure. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't get too far on that because there's not many chocolate makers in the UK. And so um, I, I ended up just like, yeah teaching myself how to make chocolate and there was so one that's it. Suspected... you kept the beans so you kept the beans and yeah, was like right I'm just going to do it oh god it took me ages to get through that sack I'm not going to lie it took me ages to get through all those three sacks I never thought that the business would grow yeah I'm sure at this like, point oh, you're like what are you doing what What are you doing yeah. at this point yeah like 70 <laughs> kilo sacks like in the in the hallway and there's and I remember I would ask advice from the second chocolate maker in the UK, and his name's Duffy. And like I really like I have so much love for that man because he's got so much time for people. He's got more time for people than I. <laughs> when someone asks me a question, I'm like, "Do you know how I had to fight to find out that answer?" Yeah. <laughs> but Duffy's Duffy's really he's such a cool guy, um, and. I remember talking to him um, months before I even started, which which was the thing that pulled made me pull the trigger on actually getting the, the big sack. The business stuff. And he yeah. was like, "Do you know what? The more we have, the more beans to bar chocolate makers we have, the more we change a narrative. The more like, and the, when the tide rises, all the boats rise. So it's not about like pick, pick, pick. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like we're trying to change something yeah. here, yeah. And yeah. we need more people in market. So you're, like, you're not right, alone. Okay. You're not alone in that mission, right? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it wasn't like a, so and I met a few more chocolate makers and some came like after me. Um, I'm one of those because I was working full time. I never really engaged in the whole kind of like chocolate. Um, how how was that for you, by the way? I mean, working full time, I mean, were, were you at UNICEF at, at the time or you, you were somewhere else? Like how, how, how do you manage that? I mean, for anyone that's starting up a business that is, you know, that has probably a relatively high pressure, high responsibility role, and it's full time and, you know, you're also mm. kind of chasing the dream at the same time. Like, you know, I, I, I actually, I, I've read a story on, um, I think one of your, your social media platforms where you, you posted a, a little bit about what, what you were doing in, I think it was the Brick Lane market. And I think at the yeah. time you were, you were actually working at that market whilst you were, oh, whilst God. you were selling your chocolate. I mean, so yeah, it's, it's just time, I suppose, isn't it? You just you just kind of have to do it. There's no easy answer to it. There's no get out of jail free cards. It's just you're just having to slog it out every hour of yeah. the day. Yeah, exactly. At the time, I was working at this um, really amazing. Um, I always say it's like one of my like the most fun place to 
fun place to work. It was a small kind of digital kind of like tech startup. It was called Propagator. And um, I've never worked in a place like this before. It was, it was really small. There's only a few of us in a room and like, but they were like, it was just, it was just, in, it was incredible working there. Um, and I, and I think I'm really grateful for working there because it really gave me this mentality. Like I always say that everyone should work in a startup at least once because you really get to understand that you, you can you learn the mechanics so, of a business, right? Yeah. Yeah, you learn the mechanics of a business, but also you can kind of stretch yourself. It's like you're not, you're not kind of like, this is your job in this box and kind of like do that and then do something else. It kind of it stretches you, it stretches your mind, it stretches your ability. Yeah. You end up coming out of yeah. any startup learning so much more than and putting in so much more. Um, so, so I was working at Propagate. So yeah, I was at the I was at the market and I was tapping away doing project plans um for for um a big project that we were we were working on at the time um and then I could I just couldn't do it I couldn't do it anymore I think I started lasted there like maybe a year and a half and I ended up getting a job at UNICEF um because it because then I thought right okay UNICEF is big enough um, I can, I can kind of like stick yeah, to my that's lane. Yeah, that's, that's the difference, right? Yeah, you, you, you basically yeah. you get to a point where you want to start the business. So actually, but also you need some income coming in at the same time. So put me back in that box, yeah. please. And I'll just do that one little thing as opposed yeah. to stretching yourself, <laughs> basically. Yeah, exactly. And and don't, don't, get, me, don't get me wrong. Like the, the like I, I was, the, the propagator was great and they would pay me properly and the same UNICEF. But I just wanted to stay in my lane. But the problem was, was that the logic is, is that you go and get a job and you go stay in your lane. But I went and got the the job that brings in most of them, like the biggest fundraiser for UNICEF, which was Soccer Race. So I became, I, I, I came, I went into UNICEF doing, working on a project they were doing with the Mayor of London at the time, which was um, Boris Johnson. And it was about New Year's. And then I started being a project manager for Soccer Aid, which is their largest fundraiser. And I just yeah. thought... You you really are trying to kill yourself now. <laughs> and <laughs> Soccer Aid is the beast of all beasts of all beasts. And anyone at UNICEF that works on it will no, say nothing else. Like, because there's so many different parties involved. You've got ITV to work with, you've got UNICEF stakeholders, internal, excellent, you've got like sponsors, you've got yeah, all these different job. people. Yeah, yeah, it was it was big, but at the same time, I think that in the back of my mind, I at this point, I'd got through some of those sacks and I was buying these sacks of beans and I said, this can really go somewhere. But I kind of changed it a little bit because I, I couldn't really go to the market after two years because I was just feeling it mentally and it was really draining. Yeah. So I started looking for stockists and then that's when I started selling into shops and then getting places like Whole Foods and like there's a really amazing um, cafe called um, Raw Press who's probably one of our first stockists and still stockists today. Yeah. Um and got and and got into there and then I How, how did you do that? that? How, how was did I suppose like you started in the markets did you get attention from the markets first and then you know a stockist came over and said hi you know want, want some of that no. please no or did no, you actually go I, in yourself and go here's my chocolate buy it. <laughs> yeah, I took a day off work. I took a day off work and I phoned everybody. Like I I kind of just phoned Good for I you though. Phoned, just to just, just get on with it. I just do it. Yeah, because you're going to hear a load of no's, but you just get to the no quickly, get to the next one, get to the next. So, and I think because what was at stake was my sanity and my mental health and my physical health was they were all at stake because I needed to get the market 
but I needed the business to still bring in something. So um, because I needed to, I was still in that kind of like proof of concept phase that people actually really want it. And now I'm about to prove, try and prove something else. I know the bars sell if I'm standing there selling it. Of course they do. You can yeah. you, you can sell you what you're passionate about, but do they sell when they're standing on their own on the shelf? Yeah. That was the next test. Um, it turns out they do. Um, and they still I do. put that down <laughs> to branding as well, though, doesn't it? Like, I mean, that's quite integral, isn't it? To, to like to how a bar looks. It's not just the actual story, as you said, because I think you can you can convey the narrative when you're in control, but when it's in one of your stockists and it's standing out there. I mean, yeah. I, I, that that felt like a quite an integral part. Was that was the branding and the logo and stuff? Was that all done kind of you know oh. day one, or was that something you progressed? That, that felt like a challenge no, in itself. It was all done day one by my friend Anna, and we went to uni together. So I've known her what ah twenty years this year. Hmm. So yeah, we went to uni together. I know about twenty years this year, and so she knew what I was like before starting chocolate. I used to have kind of brightly coloured nails and all those sorts of stuff. So that was kind of inspiration for the colours of the packaging and all those that sort of thing. But she's a package designer and she is the she's she's a leap package. Well, that was handy. To be fair. Yeah, yeah, she's an elite <laughs> package designer. Um, so if you need anything, you get Anna Pryor. But she um, <laughs> she was she she kind of took control of that because I'm one of those more technical people that I can make something taste feel like I can do that kind of like block bit but making it look nice is not not really me so she she took she was like right okay how do we want this and I was like cheap as possible <laughs> cheap, as possible. <laughs> okay, cheap as possible I mean that was always the answer and in fact even now when we're looking at we're about to launch a pantry and she's like how much per tip cheap as cheap as possible like so everything like I'm the one that doesn't want to spend any money on anything but it was so it was like cut pieces of paper um with um yeah with a with a label on the top label so it was labels on the front and back and that kind of evolved into bigger better craft paper then it evolved into kind of like paper boxes and then now it we've got like card boxes and then Super. so yeah, so it's so really and truly the colours of the boxes were the colours of the labels, and then we added a few more bits, and it's kind of like progressed. And but she's yeah. very good at like it's seeing developed. trends and how things look. So yeah, those colours are, are exactly the same as when we started, except for like one of them's changed. But yeah, because um, we don't use that bean anymore. But um, what, what was yeah, the moment? So was, I'm just in. I'm a little bit intrigued in sort of like when you were teaching yourself how to um like make the chocolate like what what was the moment for you when did it when did it, it when did it occur that you had like made something that a you were really happy with but b you know other people were happy with like and 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 is that you know i assume that wasn't easy i'm sure you can tell me that was hard but yeah when, when was that moment for you uh, and did you you know did you have to get special equipment for that or is again you still doing it in the kitchen yeah, still do still doing it in the kitchen and like crushing the beans with a rolling pin and um My God, because I've seen the machine that you use now, so I can imagine doing it with a rolling pin yeah. is Oh my god, yeah. It was yeah. 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 And then using the hairdryer to take the shells off and like and those sorts of things. But um I think there's something about there's something really nice about doing that and being stuck in the mud. Cause it kind of 
you can kind of like work out where you don't want to be uh, because it was so tough. It was just so tough there. Um, so it was, yeah, the moment came when, um, I don't know. I'm one of those people that can be quite like, like firm on when I, when I think something's mm. right, I think it's right. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, I know when I'm not a hundred percent confident. And, and I remember we, where we lived, there was um, some like bakeries and there was some shops and stuff like that. And so I did what actually a girl did, to me yesterday, actually, in the, in the factory, she came in with some granola and said, I've just started this brand. What do you think of it? Can you taste it for me? And I had done that to, like, the people that were around. And I remember this cake shop said that our natural blonde tasted like soap and it was this, it was the worst white chocolate they'd ever tasted. And I thought, that's so rude. But <laughs> oh that's, your, that's your opinion and that's fine. And then roll forward five years and then we're on Radio, uh, BBC Radio 4 and Sue Perkins is saying that the natural blonde's a game changer. That recipe has not changed. Is it so not? It's just, Seriously. It, yeah, subjective, right? Matter of preference. Yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's a really subjective, but I, at some point you've got to be really firm on what you think is good and not. But that is, was one of the reasons why I was at... Um, when I was at um, Brick Lane Market for so long, because I knew that they weren't perfect, but I knew that they were kind of there, but mm. I needed feedback in order to just get it into a point where I definitely know it's there. And that's why I was there, because I was changing the recipe. Like we used to have these regular customers. Some of them are still with us today. Um, and then we'll just change the recipe and mix it up. And then what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And then, oh, it tastes better this time. It's a bit drier now. It's a bit more kind of like the flavour profiles aren't quite right here. And so it took me all that time to to refine those recipes. And that's when I kind of knew it was right, um, yeah. when we just got more people kind of like buying it and stuff like that. And, you know? and have you educated your, your, like yourself? Because, you know, you, the, the way that you talk a little bit about how, you know, the, the, the cacao bean is, is, is similar like 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 wine and coffee and cheese cheese in it almost in terms of where it's originated from and how it's grown and and the environment um so when you're actually tasting chocolate like ha, ha, are you able to sort of clearly distinguish between you know chocolate that comes from um Guatemala versus you know Haiti or the Dominican Republic like was that something again that you just I guess you just build up over time how, how to differentiate it because you understand the, you know, what sort of characteristics each one has. Yeah, well, yes. And the answer is yes and no, because in, say, Dominican Republic, you can have two farms on two different sides of the country and they would taste, they would taste slightly different. So it really does depend on where it's grown and also how it's fermented um, and dried and that whole kind of like, um, processing after harvest mm. there are some kind of like distinct flavors that if i have a piece of chocolate from madagascar and no matter where it where, who makes this chocolate bar i will know that i have had a bar from madagascar um because the flavor profiles are exactly the same um you have to whole... try a lot of chocolate to get to that point right you know yeah, to be able to you, distinguish you where it's from yeah yeah you do and there's flavor profiles that i don't quite like but the kind of like peppery spicy one i'm not a big fan of mm. so again even chocolate makers have their own preferences i'm kind of like a more warming comforting kind of like those roasted nuts they're kind of like softer those flavors but some people are like more peppery those kind of like and that's and that's fine because if i'm not making it somebody else is making it and therefore somebody 
other people have got an option to taste where their flavors profile takes them in terms of what they like to eat. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, I can, yeah, I can, I can probably taste like, I could do a blind test on our chocolate, obviously, and then probably <laughs> on kind of a few other regions. But it's funny because um, if we, if you gave 10 chocolate makers in the UK the same bean, we won't all produce the same product. So if you said, right, you 10 chocolate makers, go and make a 70% from this bean, they'll all taste slightly different. Because the way that, that we all roast yeah. Well, we, we roast it all differently. Um, so some might have a really lower roast, some might have a slightly higher roast, some might leave them for a long time, little time. Um, and then we the process of like even conching it and putting it in, like some people might put all, all the ingredients in on day one and leave it to conch down. Like some people might do bit and, bits and bobs. Like it, it's all different. How the But what we do, what yeah, there's a distinct flavour. So I imagine like there's this kind of like middle flavour that kind of like that's the flavour of the bean. There's yeah. kind of like other notes that we that are in the in that chocolate that we will pronounce a lot more depending on how we roast it, how we grind it, and all those sorts of stuff. So, my I might bring out a more toasty note, whereas someone else might bring out something that's a bit more chocolatey. And you but can control are, that. Can 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 you control that process? As you know, or is it you know a little bit, um, you know how it ends up? Yeah, with chocolate, it's all trial and error. So, um. There is time someone like people say, well, when are you going to bring a really high percentage chocolate bar out? And, and I always look at them thinking, do you know how long that takes me? <laughs> <laughs> but we, 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 we have one and we developed one last year. It's a 78% Ghana, which is inside um, a lot of our kind of nuts, our nut butters and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And at some point it will be released as a bar. But it took me ages to do that. And I tend to do a lot of the product testing and like new bar profiles and stuff like that over the summer when it's a bit more quieter for chocolate so it mm. goes from like smelling it tasting it raw tasting it when it's just roasted so does this taste right how how does it work with our ingredients and all those sorts of things and then do i need to roast it a bit more and those you you kind of have like this kind of like log book of um different things so um yeah it does take some time to bring something online yeah, I can I can imagine. And so you you're not just doing bars either, are you? You you've I suppose like now you've grown the product set and have got other things as well other than just bars. I mean, I I I know I think I mentioned to you there was the was it the the hot chocolate um sort yeah. of powder or yeah. um so like what 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 else have you guys got? Have you got anything else kind of in in store that that's coming up and um what what are you guys yeah. doing at the moment so we're, we're at the minute we're, we're, we're kind of like finding our, our feet we grew quite a lot last year and it's kind of like right okay before we before we go and take on another bit let's kind of work out what the hell happened last year um <laughs> so we're trying we're, we're kind of processing that whilst moving at the same time i'm i'm a big fan of um fixing fixing the car while it's just moving kind of that kind of analogy if that's even possible to do but like um, are you trying <laughs> yeah exactly and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but I think that with with us the problem is there's better chocolate out there there is better flavor profiles 
there's better ways of doing things there's better ways of treating people that's the problem yeah now the solution for very for many years for us i say many years like we've been around for ages but we've been around for six for for quite a long time our solution was our, our range of seven bars that was a yeah. solution to our problem and now i think the problem isn't going to go away but those seven bars um once you've had one, what is bringing you back to explore more about what we have to say, more about ethics, more about those sorts of things? Because you may hit on your favourite bar and you might buy that occasionally, but how else can we communicate what the problem is? We can communicate the problem through our hot chocolate. We can communicate the problem um, or the solution to the problem through like stuff like our nut, um, our nutty collection, which is like our Gen Duja Bites, which is nut butter filled bites and like we've yeah. got the same in a bar like a genduja bar and um, we're just about to launch a pantry um so look out for that and a <laughs> cocoa pantry so that consists of coconut sugar cocoa shell tea um it consists of hot chocolate the nut butter will be back well the, yeah we might put another hot chocolate in there as well um yeah the nut butter will be back i made some samples last year and we sold some and then now everybody wants it again and i keep saying uh. that i need to test them i didn't think that do you know when I, you just don't think something's right it needed to be tested and, and i need yeah. to work on it i think i've made the right recipe i'm just doing the final test tomorrow um, and then it's going to have, um, yeah, cocoa shell tea and then cocoa butter and a few other things, but also it's going to have cocoa powder. Now, cocoa powder is still part of this big problem that, we, that we're that we seeing, that we need to change what cocoa powder people are using, because at the moment we're using the same cocoa powder from the same bean from the, from, um, that doesn't have a great supply chain. And plus it's alkalized. So we did a test on it um, and we did a test on it and we had like kind of one of the leading brands and then we mm. had some, we've got some Ugandan cocoa powder and we kind of tasted both of them and we, we've got these brownies that we do on a Saturday and we're hopefully going to bring out some brownie kits at some point in the year. Awesome. Um, and and we tasted them and you, there's just so much pleasure in having the Ugandan, the Ugandan cocoa powder and then you've got this kind of like leading brand which kind of dries your mouth out. It's really bitter and it's, it's just really bad. And you've got this really fragrant, fruity kind of like, it's, even the colour is so much lighter on the, on the Ugandan. So the cocoa powder is also part of us communicating what the problem is and, and showing what the solution is. But in terms of flavours, we've joined up with a um, gin company um, and we... Obviously, again, we're always saying different regions create different flavours. So another way to communicate that is through gin. We soak our gin, our um, roasted nibs in gin for three months and then they come out. Oh, <laughs> and wow, then, that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, so we, we soaked them in there for, well, we started off doing it for like a, a month or so and then it started continuing and we that some of the tannins then started going coming off of it um and so yeah so at some point in the year hopefully before christmas we should have some chocolate gin um we're going to start with a few couple and then hopefully launch out to um the rest of them but i say that all <laughs> it might <not> happen. <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> no, i say that but it might not happen Something that stands out a little bit to me is um, when I was just looking at the ingredients in in your your bars in particular, and there was a couple of things that stood out to me. One was 
coconut sugar. Um, that that that's an interesting thing for me. I, I suppose it also it, it opens um, it opens the chocolate game up for um, uh, for, for vegans as well, right? And, and I suppose you're not using you're not using milk or anything like that. So is that is that the replacement there? Like, and also where does where does no. coconut sugar come from? So. Um, if a dark chocolate has been made properly, um, it will always be accessible to vegans. Um, so even kind of like other beans about chocolate makers that use white refined sugar, that vegans can have their dark chocolate. Um, right. The coconut sugar was all part of, like like I said, like I, I'm constantly learning so much stuff about chocolate and where it should be versus where it is. And one of the first things I learned was like, well, we know about what white refined sugar and, but chocolate used to be called the food of the gods. And if it's called the food of the gods and we've now turned it into a guilty pleasure, how do we as a business try to roll that? Yeah. And so coconut sugar and lacuma we use as our um, two replacement sugars because they're kind of food. We don't, we do not have any kind of like health. We don't kind of claim to be anything that we're not, but we, what, but we, what we do know they're based on. Lacuma Le- is a of. fruit from Peru. Lacuma right. is a fruit from Peru. Um, and it can be used as a sugar replacement as well. Um, and so coconut sugar doesn't spike your um, blood sugar levels. And so we have the evidence for that um, on research that has been done. So we decided that actually, if it's going to be called the food of the, gods roll it in the back use coconut sugar and lacuma because that's what i was using anyway Mm. um as a replacement for um the sugar that's in it and then that's kind of like that was kind of like my first one and then that's kind of that's why we're called lacoco so the lu is lacuma co is coconut sugar Ah. and coa is cocoa beans and cocoa butter because i really want to hold myself to account on that one and say no matter how big we get who knows where we're going, but I don't want to compromise on that. And that that's that's also where we've got that strap line, not naughty, just nice. Um <laughs> because I, I believe that we aren't. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like you say, it's good it's good to have that like underlying principle and morality that regardless of growth you will, you know, ho- ho- hopefully for, forever stick to, right? Um Yeah. exactly it goes along with the um goes along with the story um and talking about going along with the story i I just have to point out the fact that you have um i I love the fact that you have a spotify playlist for what looks like every flavor um of chocolate they all have like their different colors oh no no it's (laughs) us come about (laughs) oh it's us because if you come to the factory you're you're likely to hear some kind of music um and so we decided. It's, so it's it's our own Spotify playlist. So you can listen to. You can kind of you can kind of find out the personalities behind what's go, the people in the factory through music, right? So, um, so we all have our own Spotify playlists up there, and like they are they we are an eclectic bunch. I can tell you that. Um, if you're not listening, yeah, on the, on a on a Saturday. Um, it's usually the post soundtrack because 80s disco is very good. Um, <laughs> but uh, because I, I, I'm not, I'm not there every Saturday. Like the, the guys in the in, in the shop have kind of modernised it <laughs> a bit more. But you can see on the Spotify list what they're what they're listening to. And I'm like, yeah, you guys have got taste. 
so yeah, so the, the Spotify playlist came because we were kind of want to get people to understand us as person people as well. It was like, yeah. and a few people commented on it that um, which playlist they like and all those sorts of stuff. And like um, the most well-rounded one, actually, I say is Anna's one. She's 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 yeah, she's she's a big music head. So you'll hear tracks that you've never heard before, and they'll hear some really good stuff. My one is. I'm so London, I'm so East London. So you're gonna have Grime in there, you're gonna have like kind of Jamie, you're gonna have um all sorts all the way down to like Dolly Parton, you're gonna have everything. You're gonna have everything in there. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, from Jamie to Dolly Parton, like yeah, I listen to everything. So it's all in there. So it's so yeah, that came about because we just want to give people some personality. People absolutely absolutely. Um well, I think you know we're we're pretty much getting getting to the end of the of the cast now. Um, I hope that people listening into this um, will have just learned so much more about chocolate. I think in general um, and and how it should be made. And I think businesses like yours and people like yourself who um, have decided to you know you know blood, sweat, and tears to bring mm. about not just a product but also you know, there's a social mission behind it. There's a story, there's a narrative that, that you're trying to help. Um, and alongside what, what looks like some other, albeit, um, you know, not, not the huge gigantic businesses, but there are a growing number of um, bean to bar food makers. And hopefully this inspires others to, um, you know, to, to, to join you in that, in that mission. So, um yeah, I think it's, this has been superb. So thank you ever so much for being on and and um, and taking us through. No, thank you.